Pastor George here. I wanted to take a second and thank you for checking out our online messages. Our prayer is that this resource will challenge you, encourage you, and empower you as you uh, dig deeper in your relationship with Christ. But in no way will it replace God's plan for your active involvement in a local church. I do want to take a second and ask you to uh, prayerfully consider as you participate and listen to this resource, partnering with Revive as we uh, pursue our mission of seeing people live their fullest life in Christ. You can do this by going online to revivechurchga.com backslash give and making a one-time donation or setting up a recurring gift. It's through the generosity of others that we're able to provide um, a resource like this one. With that being said, uh, I do want to thank you again, and here is today's message. in Matthew 1. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. I uh, thoroughly enjoy the Christmas season. Um, it's great to be in a good mood, am I right? Anybody here been in a bad mood? Not me, but I'm sure some of you have, right? I love to be in a good mood. And, and I think that uh, one of the things that I love most about the Christmas season is the fact that like the general public, like not individually, like there's still some very angry, upset individuals. And I've even been a little angry and upset in the Christmas season, right? But the general public seems to be happier this time of year, right? Like um, an example being, like, uh, so I work part-time for Wells Fargo, and one of the things that we get is there's these surveys that they send out. So if you go into Wells Fargo and the, your, if you bank there and your profile is pulled up, then randomly they send out surveys to people who, who come into the branch and profiles pulled up. In that survey, you're asked questions like your wait time and how satisfied you were with the visit, if you were happy, did they do good, all these different things, right? And you, you basically grade your experience on a one to five uh, score, 
And then every Tuesday we get those scores back. And based on how we do throughout the quarter, so over three months, we can get a bonus if the scores are high enough. So if, the reason I'm telling you this story is if you ever get that survey, all fives, okay? That's your job. <laughs> no, but seriously, and so people get these surveys and, and the goal is to, to get somewhere between like a 4.5 and a five throughout the whole three months, quarter, right? And so usually about this point in the month, you were three, three weeks, two weeks into the month. It's the last quarter of the, or the last month of the quarter. We're getting our scores in. We're usually somewhere around a 4.5, 4.7, right? All it takes is like a three on one survey out of all the questions and it like drops you by a point. So it's, it's kind of a stressful when we have these things. When we take these things, we talk about them, we see where we can improve. Uh, there's a chance to leave comments of a, a banker or a teller or somebody is listed by name, they get like a shout out in these meetings. It's, it's kind of a fun experience how we get better, how we can encourage each other. But at this point in December, two weeks in, our current score, we've had five, we had 10 surveys, which is a lot. Usually we're at like three or four surveys. We've had 10 surveys, all fives. And right, we've got two tellers that are out on leave. So like wait times are very long. I'm just, just being real, very long all fives. And this doesn't happen. Like in my whole time at Wells Fargo, we've never had 10 surveys at a perfect five. It's just, well, we've never had it except for December of last year. <laughs> There's something about the holiday season. Maybe uh, the survey takers are feeling generous. Maybe it's rigged by Wells Fargo. <laughs> maybe, maybe we're, it's just the general public is happy, right? There's this sense of being in a good mood. We all enjoy it. We all know it. We all kind of have a vocabulary. Every language, no matter what nation it comes from, has a vocabulary for these emotions. For us, words like happy and cheerful and, and joyful, right? And the Bible is no different. The Bible, the Old Testament, there's a list of words and I'm not going to pronounce all of them. And in the New Testament in Greek, there's a list of words and they all kind of have this, this general sense of this feel good, happy, joyful vocabulary, right? This meaning of, of glee, of cheerfulness. And, and what I kind of want to talk about today is this, this, this word joy and what it means in this season and, and what it can mean for Christians. Because, because while it's true that joy is, is this theme from beginning to end in the scripture, you can see it in the, in the Genesis and you can see it in Revelation. You can see it through Jesus' ministry. You can see it in the, the, old, the, the prophets in the Old Testament. All throughout the Bible, you've got joy. And in the beginning, it says God created the earth and the earth was good. And later we see his Psalms talking about how we can have joy in God's creation, right? So from the very beginning, there's, there's joy for uh, the gift of of life. There's a, it talks, the psalmist talks about joy that you smell when you smell a perfume is, is like a joy that you feel in your heart when you're with friends, right? There's a psalmist that says that wine is God's good gift to bring joy. I'm just saying, but <laughs> there's also a, uh, uh, Psalmists who talk about the, the joy of self-control and not having too much wine. So th there's that there too, right? And there's this sense of, of weddings bringing joy and children bringing joy and, and uh, life experiences bringing joy, relationships bringing joy. All throughout scripture, we see this central theme from beginning to end about joy. However, <laughs> human history, we know is not just some big joy fest, right? Everywhere you look is happy all the time. That very often, 
people go through valleys. People go through deserts. People go through storms. They go through hard times in life. We live in a corrupted world. It's full of selfishness and brokenness and death. People lie. People cheat. People steal. People murder. Life isn't always the mountaintop. This week, we I work with a lady who has got a family member who works at a plant in Conyers where a guy just walked in and killed somebody for no reason here in Conyers. It's, it's all around us that, that we live in a corrupted, fallen world. And when that happens, there's times where we go through valleys. There's times when brokenness and sickness and, and whatever it may be hits our life. And this is, this is where the interesting part about biblical faith and biblical joy, how it separates from the rest of the world, how it's got this unique joy factor that is absent from everything else. Because even though when we go through valleys, even though we go through storms, this whole Christmas scene of Jesus coming to earth and being with us means that, that our hope and our joy isn't based on our circumstances. But as Christians, we've adop- adopted this view where our joy comes from the, the promise of our Savior, the promise of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's where our joy comes from. And it doesn't matter whether we're in the desert or in the valley or in the mountaintop. You see this when, when Moses, to, God sends Moses to deliver his people, right? They come out of captivity and they go from, from this journey from captivity to a journey into a desert right? Life is not easy in the desert. There's this talk of a promised land, but they haven't been, they haven't arrived there yet. There's a wandering before even the 40 years that we all read about and heard about. They're, they're thirsty. They're hungry. They're trying to keep their animals alive. It's, it's hard. It's hard wandering through that desert. But the Bible says that when they look back at these stories, all they hear is, is stories of joy and singing, even though they're in the desert, because their circumstances are not what determine their joy, but it's their God, their Savior. And that's what we've come to at this time. There's this this attitude that God's people adopt, not because of their happy circumstances, but because of their hope in God's love and promise. They sing for joy in the desert, even when Moses is delivering them. Later, they're under oppression, and Isaiah talks about another deliverer that's gonna come and deliver them, right? There's this, this promise of a Messiah, and then we get to the passage that Lauren read for us today in Matthew 1.23. It says, look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. The reason we can have joy on the mountaintop and in the valley is because our God is with us on the mountaintop and in the valley. It's not our circumstances that determine the way we feel Joy is so much more than that. And for Christians, not just for, for everybody, it's easy to, to believe in God when we're on the mountaintop. It's easy to enjoy him. It's easy to, to praise God when we get a raise, when our team wins, when our kid finally sleeps through the night. Like I was thinking about this, Addie Lee is, is two years old now, but it was around this time when she was uh, two months old where we woke up one morning at six o'clock and we we're like, wait a minute, it's, everything okay? Why didn't we wake up in the middle of the night? Why didn't she start crying? We were and she slept through the night. Two months old, she slept through the night. There's no, no joy like the, the joy of sleeping through the night for the first time in two months, okay? There's this exciting moment, right? It's easy to praise God on those mountaintops when we have that joy. And it's more difficult when we're in the valleys, 
when we're alone, when we're scared, when we're hurting, when we get bad news, when there's death, when there's cancer. Life can be great. Life can be great in every category. Job is going well. Marriage is going well. Kids are doing great. And all it takes, all it takes is one valley in one area. And it can rob you. It can steal our joy. All it takes is your marriage could be growing great, but you have the one kid that just keeps making bad decision after bad decision. You're feeling closer to God than you've ever felt before, but you've got this fear of losing your job. You're surrounded by friends and family, and you've got all this Christmas, this holiday season blessing, and then you get the bad news of somebody being sick or having cancer. Valleys can come out of nowhere, even when we're not ready for them. Valleys all throughout the the Bible and even in history, you see there are places of of loneliness and desperation. Often there's huge battles that are fought in valleys. But while it's a place of battles and loneliness and desperation, it's also a place of growth where we build faith, where we experience God in a different way than we do on the mountaintop. On the mountaintop, we enjoy God but we get to know him intimately in the valleys. Psalm 84, five, which is where Psalm 84, which is where we're gonna kind of park for most of the message today, verses five through seven say this. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The autumn rains also cover it with pools. They go from strength to strength till each appears before God in Zion. It talks about going through this valley of Baca. It's a desert country. It's full of thorns and wild animals and snakes and dangerous cats, because we all know cats are from the devil. It's nearly impossible to travel through these valleys without facing some kind of difficult, some kind of trouble, some kind of detriment that that we go through. And this is real, like traveling through it. In fact, the the, the Valley of Baca gets its name from this this, uh, Baca tree, right? And this Baca tree is known for like oozing sap and being very sticky. And they, they actually got nicknamed the crying tree. So people, you can see throughout history where this valley is called the Valley of Tears or the Valley of Weeping or the Valley of Loss. So there's this sense of this psalmist is saying that the, even, though, even though these people are traveling through this valley of tears, the tough circumstances, whatever it may be, the loss of someone, the, the pain, the bad news, whatever it may be, there's this sense of being around them. But then in verse five, it starts off and it says, blessed are those whose strength is in you. There's this one, one translation, it says joy for those whose strength is in you. Have you ever been like the end of your rope? Like, have you just ever even said that? Like, I just, I have nothing left. I just can't, I can't carry on. I can't do this anymore. I'm just at the end. I think we've all been there where we're, we're completely drained. We're, we're mentally drained. We're physically drained. We're emotionally drained. We're relationally drained where there's just nothing else we can do. Some of you may be experiencing it now when we get around relatives and friends and family who may have different views. There might be arguments. There might be things that you're, you're, you're having to get along with people you don't normally get along with. Whatever it is, you can just get to this place where you're completely strained. There's, a, there's times in our lives where we're just absolutely exhausted. And if you are living life without God... All you have is you. So when you are at the end of your rope, you are at the end of your rope. But here it's saying that our strength, for those that have our strength in Christ, in him, in God, 
The end of our rope is not the end of our rope. He's there feeding more lime. He's there picking us up and carrying us along. To mix metaphors, our tank isn't empty when our, when our rope runs out. Like God is there filling us up. He's carrying us along. I, I, I heard uh, somebody illustrate this with a weight room story that kind of reminded me of my own weight room story. But there, there's this time... In football season, we would have workouts, right? And during the summer, we would work out three to four days a week after school. But during football season, we would work out in the mornings. And those morning workouts were like a time where we basically were building stamina. It was like to to make us where we can play all the way through the fourth quarter, right? So we wouldn't get tired as easily. And so we would have this workout that we would do where you would start with a relatively heavy weight, but you would just, like if you're bench pressing, you just bench press as much as you can, as long as you can, until you can't anymore. Then you rack it. Then it's the next person's turn, and they do it. Then it gets back around to the first person, and you actually lower the weight, and you just go, and you press as many times as you can until you're completely exhausted. And you do that every time, lowering weight, lowering weight. And so we got down to where there was like literally like maybe a 10 pound weight on each side of the bar, nothing left. Like it just looks like not even warm up weight. It's just the smallest amount of weight and you're going, you're going and you get to the point where you're at, you're, you're ready to quit. And whoever's spotting you is their job to give you a number of how many more you have to do. Because the truth is when you feel like you're at the end of the rope, you can always actually go a little bit further. And so I'm going and I'm lifting. And this guy, I'm actually working out with probably the strongest guy I've ever met in my life, right? Like, <laughs> like I, I wouldn't even want to bump into him. I'd probably fall. Like he is absolutely jacked and he's spotting me. And so we're going and I'm exhausted. There's nothing like, I look like I'm struggling with 10 pounds. I'm like, Aah! and so and then he gives me a number. I don't even remember what it is, but I remember thinking, you are out of your mind. <laughs> you might could do that many, but I'm done. I'm done, but I keep going. And he's saying, you can do it. You got this. It's all you. It's all you. And he starts doing his job by spotting me, right? So he's got his hands under the bar and he's, he's lifting it up with me. And I get to a place where I just give out. I'm just completely done. And I'm holding onto the bar, but I'm not doing any work with my arms. And he's sitting there, you got this. You got this. You literally doing all the work by himself. And I'm just sitting there, no, I don't, you've got this, but okay. And I'm doing no work, right? I'm completely exhausted, completely done. And he is carrying all the weight. And we get to this place in life where we're completely done. We're completely exhausted. And God is there carrying all the weight. There's this sense of when we are in the valley, we're so broken, we're so tired, we're so done, we're so at the end of our rope. And blessed are those are whose strength is in him. We can have joy even in the valley because we know that we're depending on God. And even when our strength runs out, he is there to carry us. And there's no blessing, there's no joy like knowing that moment. There's been times in my life in that moment where I'm like, I'm done. And God says, I got you. There's this sense of uh, so many of us miss out on this joy. We miss out on this joy moment because we think that we got to do it all by ourselves. We're afraid to reach out to, to, to people who God uses to help us. We're afraid to reach out to God and let him help us. But we have to get to a place where we say, you know what? God is with me and blessed are those. I am blessed because he is my strength. He is my rock. He is my fortress. I'm not doing this on my own. We have to rely on God to be our strength. When all you have is you, all you have is you. We have to understand that when we are weak, his strength is made perfect. If you keep reading on in verse five, it says what, this is the the translation I was talking about earlier. It says, what joy for those whose strength comes from the Lord. Then it says, we have set 
who have set their mind on a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. They have set their minds on him. If we're going to experience joy in the valley, we have to know that our strength comes from God, but we have to also set our minds on the things above. We have to set our mind towards God. Paul talks about this. He says, set your mind on the things above, not on the things below. In Colossians, he says, whatever is pure, lovely, excellent, praiseworthy, think about those things. What you think about matters. I have this uh, weird personality where if I get into some kind of like little hobby, I kind of obsess over it for a little while. <laughs> and so um, I've, I've played disc golf for a really long time, uh, since I was in college. It's frisbee golf. There's these baskets. You got these little discs you throw at it. It's a lot of fun. It sounds nerdy. It's a lot of fun. Okay, don't judge me. But they just built a course here in Covington, and it's like maybe the second funnest course, I may have just made that word up, that I've ever played, right? And so the, I've gotten back into this like love for disc golf. And so I'm even getting some disc golf stuff from Chris, for Christmas. I saw it on the Amazon cart, Lauren. <laughs> no, but there's this, this sense of, I've, I've really I've enjoy it. So I've watched some YouTube videos on like how to be better at disc golf. Okay, don't judge me, okay? And one of the things that the best ways you can improve your game is to putt better. And putting is like, if you're within 30 feet of the basket, they consider that a putt. And so if you can make it from 30 feet regularly, you're going to be pretty good. I can't make it from 10 feet regularly, okay? So this is, it's going to require some practice. So I'm looking up how to putt better, how to putt better. And all the videos I watched, they were all like, form is important. Here's some things you want to remember. But they all had different types of form. So I was like, there's no way to putt properly. But one thing that every video had in common, it says, they said, you have 30 seconds. If you're doing tournament rules, you have 30 seconds when you step up to form your shot before you have to throw it. If you get up and you're looking at that basket and you feel like you're saying to yourself, man, I'm not going to make this, use your full 30 seconds, take a step back, what you think about matters. Tell yourself you're going to make it. Tell yourself you know you've made this shot before. Think positive, right? And really, if you do any kind of studying of athletes, there's, uh, John Smoltz wrote a book, and he, he talked about how every time he went out to get on the mound, he knew that he was better than the other pit- pitcher, right? There's this sense of what we think about, thinking positive, sitting our, th- our mind on things above, allows us to push through these times. What we think about really matters. We have to understand that if we're going to f- have joy even in the valley, we have to fix our our mind on God. We, we talked about how they fixed their mind on the promise of the coming Savior, right? And we have that Savior. Jesus died on the cross for us, and because of his death on the cross, we see in Acts where the Holy Spirit comes and fills us and walks with us, and we're not doing this life alone. But we also have this promise of a second coming, of a second advent, that one day this world will be made perfect. It's a new heaven and a new earth. Jesus will be on the throne. We have that to look forward to, we have that moment where we're reunited with the loved ones. We have that moment where we're serving and following Jesus here on earth as our Lord and Savior, where there's no more pain, there's no more suffering, there's no more grief. We still have those things that we can fix our mind on. We have to focus on God. We may be in the valley. Our circumstances may currently be in the valley, but our mind must be fixed on God. My heart may be anxious, but my mind is fixed. My soul may be aching, but my mind is fixed. My emotions may be racing, but my mind is fixed. I read those words and I was like, man, that is powerful. Is our mind 
fixed on God. There's too much to do. Our marriage is in a bad place. The in-laws are coming to town. How am I going to pay for all this Christmas gifts? We have to fix our mind on God and we'll experience joy despite our circumstances. Verse six says that as they passed through the valley of Baca, they made it a place of springs. The autumn rains also covered it with pools. What we have to see is they're passing through the valley. I think a lot of times we get in this place where we feel like we're trapped, we're in the valley, and we feel like we've, that's all there, we're ever going to know. All we're ever going to know is this, this place of desperation, this place of depression, this place of sorrow. We have to understand that the valley is not the destination. We are just passing through. And at the end of the day, our Savior will return. At the end of the day, when it's all said and done, the only thing that could happen is that God will remain close to us. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I know that my Lord is with me. God is with me as we're walking through those times of trouble. It's, 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 so many times we ask that God would just get us out of it. Lord, get me out of it. Get me out of it. Get me out of it. Sometimes the greatest thing that can happen is that God get us through it. We grow closer to him in the valleys. We, our relationship grows with him in the hard times. Lauren, uh, Lauren wrote a thing at the, around this time last year, looking forward to the new year, and she said the thing that she was most excited about was the possibility of being pregnant again. That happened. <laughs> she also said one of the things that she was most afraid about was her mom's cancer. We got the worst possible outcome from that. But at, at the end of the day, she still has joy because her, her mind is fixed on God above and she knows that the valley is just something we're passing through. It's not the destination. There will, will be a day when we are reunited with Christ in the resurrection of the new bodies. We have to understand that there, there's the city of refuge, that the valley is the pathway to peace. It's not the destination. And it says that as they're there, they make it a place of springs, right? The autumn rains also cover it with pools. Uh, the King James Version says that they make it a well, right? And there's this really awesome picture of, of when they're in this valley, this dry place, they dig out these holes and you dig out these holes and you wait for it to rain because then the rain fills it and you've got water. So there's a sense of even though they're in this valley of this dry place, there's this action of faith saying, I know that my God will provide. I know that my God is near. And they dig these holes as like a preparation of a, a faith step. So often we get in our lives where we, where we just have to say, you know what, show your faith. It's almost like this isn't what it says, but it's almost like God is saying, show me your faith and I'll show you my faithfulness because God is always faithful. He says to, to the lame man to pick up your mat and walk. He doesn't say, hey, do you trust me? I'm gonna, I'm gonna heal you and then you get up. He just says, get up and walk. And in that moment, this man who has not walked in years, maybe his life is able, he takes that faith step and he is healed when he takes that faith step. God says, reach out to the man that's got the river withered hand. He says, reach out, reach out. As the, there's this action step that happens first. So often we have to realize that Jesus is saying, by your faith, you are healed. There has to be an action step. We have to dig the well. We have to prepare for the rain. I have a friend that, that went on this mission trip to uh, Mexico, didn't know any Spanish. <laughs> he went on this mission trip to Mexico and they're walking around and this lady comes up to him and starts talking to him. And in that moment, he returns in Spanish, doesn't know Spanish at all. But he begins to speak Spanish and actually in that conversation leads her to Jesus. And when it's all said and done, he still can't speak Spanish. And he told me this story when I was in college and I was like, yeah, I bet. 
<laughs> right? I, I, the skeptic in me doesn't want to believe it, but I, he's never given me a reason not to believe him before. Right? I trust him with everything. So why would I not believe this story? He took the action step. This lady started talking to him and he took the action step to communicate back. And he spoke and there was a miracle, right? So, so often we have to realize that there's joy in the valley when we will prepare for God to move in our life. We have to know that he is there. He says, if you dig it, God will fill it, right? <laughs> if you dig it, God will fill it. There's this sense of, of, if you draw near to me, I will draw near to you. If you seek me, you will find me. If you make room for me, I will reveal myself to you. There's this sense of, of even though that you, there's pain in your life, God is saying, make room for me to move. And we have to know that he says to be still and know that I'm God. It's important that when we dig our well, we stick around long enough for God to fill it. So often we get back to that place of I want to go find my own water to put in the well. I want to go do it by myself. And we miss out on the joy. We have to understand that, that God never says that you won't go through valleys. But you have to know that you'll never go through valleys alone. It's dark. It's stormy. There's trouble. You're weak. God is your light in the darkness. He is your peace in the storm. He is your joy in the trouble. He is your strength when you are weak. We enjoy him on the mountaintops, but we get to know him in the valleys. And this is not the, the self-help of turn your frown upside down, right? That's, that, this is, Paul says it in 2 Corinthians 6.10. He says that, though I am full of sorrow, yet I rejoice. The Christian joy is this profound choice of faith and hope in the power of Jesus, even if it doesn't make sense. We have to seek his strength we have to fix our mind and we have to dig our well and know that even in the valleys, we can have joy. Psalm 139, seven through 10 says this. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there, your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. Matthew says, his name is Emmanuel. God is with us. That's how we have joy. No matter what's going on in your life, no matter what circumstances surround you, whether you're on the mountaintop right now or you're in the valley, whether you're in the storm or you're in the desert, whatever's going on, that promise of God with us still reigns. God is with you. You can have joy. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that what's going on around us doesn't dictate our joy. Lord, that we, we always have your promise. We always have your presence. And I pray that as your people, as your church, as your children, that we can walk through life and we can navigate life knowing that you are near to us and that we can navigate life with an unending, unexplainable joy. You are the light to the world. Let our joy in you be that light. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.